It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 190, King Manasseh. Hezekiah was thrilled when God granted him a son, but something terrible happened to him. I wish we had more detail to find out why he had such a hellion for a son. It's like the devil himself will end up inhabiting him. We do know he becomes king at a very immature young age of 12, and he reversed every good decision of his father. I'd like to say some horrifying trial or tribulation or trauma hit him at a young age, but we have no record of it. I'm sure something terrible happened, you know, cause and effect. He was probably introduced to some secret witch inside the palace of the king or some horrible demonized book that his grandfather wrote that he found. There has to be detailed background story to this, but we just don't have it, unfortunately. Maybe there was some maidservant that he was given over to that a secret priestess to Baal had committed her, you know, her, her life to destroying this man, and he gave in to the bait. Who knows? We just don't have the detail. The psychology of evil and basic understanding that people point to some horrid trauma or early demonization of the boy, but we don't have it. I'm talking in harsh terms because... Manasseh will go on to become one of the worst men in world history by our standards. Here is the biblical account, and it spares no expense. It just doesn't sugarcoat anything. 2 Kings 21. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. His mother's name was Hetzabah. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices and the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. He bowed down to all the starry host and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. In the two courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry host. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced divination, sought omens, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. He took the carved Asherah pole he had made, made himself, and put it in the temple of which the Lord had said to David and to his son Solomon, In this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites wander from the land I gave their ancestors, if only they will be careful to do everything I commanded them to do, and I will keep the whole law that my servant Moses gave them. But the people did not listen. Manasseh led them astray, so they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. Of course, the Lord rebukes him for turning Jerusalem into something worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. It's such a stark white-to-black shift. Biblical history is that way, unfortunately. These bipolar kings of Judah are tearing their country apart. In walks the prophets, and take note, for this reason, the future diaspora occurs, the exile to Babylon due to Manasseh's wickedness. 
2 Kings 21.10 The Lord said through his servants, the prophets, Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these detestable sins. He has done more evil than the Amorites who preceded him and has led Judah into sin with his idols. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I'm going to bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. They will stretch out over Jerusalem the measuring line used against Samaria and the plumb line used against the house of Ahab. I will wipe out Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and give them into the hands of enemies. They will be looted and plundered by all their enemies. They have done evil in my eyes and will be aroused my anger from the day their ancestors came up out of Egypt until this day. Moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end, besides the sin that he had caused Judah to commit, so that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. As for the other events of Manasseh's reign and all he did, including the sin he committed, they are not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah. Manasseh rested with his ancestors and was buried in his palace garden, the garden of Uzzah, and Ammon, his son, succeeded him as king. So this is where we have to read ahead to have more context, and then we have to look for other books. Remember those book burnings in Nazi Germany? Manasseh, at his height, was probably burning the scrolls of the prophets and the judges and the men of faith before and doing everything he could to stamp out the history of his people and their faith in God. I have to believe he was unaware as he was so full of demons or even the devil himself because he seemed so possessed of evil that he appeared to be hardened beyond belief, beyond reproach, and even the feeling of conviction. It would take captivity and he being removed from his self-created principality to feel conviction again. The innocent blood was basically anyone who worshipped God. He probably dragged away innocents like the, the Mayans or the Aztecs in their day to sacrifice to his God that demanded child or human sacrifice. This most likely created a reign of terror where he would choose anyone who opposed him or maybe he delegated a, a priest of a certain religion just to seize people in the streets and they would pick their enemies. And further, this gave him context or anyone context to kill off God's people his prophets, and specifically Isaiah. If he was filled with evil, his enemy became God's people by default. There is a reference in the New Testament to some who were martyred, even Son and two. He spoke of this in the last episode, that Son means sawed in two. According to Josephus, Isaiah was a victim of Manasseh, who chose to have him killed by cutting him in two with a wooden saw. The horrible end of the greatest prophet of his age, but all the more glory to Isaiah, who met a martyr's death just to end his endless spiritual resume. What a seat in heaven he must have. I imagine Isaiah's dying, echoing words were prophecy, and Isaiah looked upon the face of God in the midst of the chaos and disorder and violence that came down upon him. Second Chronicles adds more to the, the kingship of Manasseh. Second Chronicles 33.7 He took the image he had made and put it in God's temple, of which God had said to David and his son Solomon, In this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites leave the land I assigned to your ancestors. 
If only they would be careful to do everything I commanded them concerning all the laws, decrees, and regulations given through Moses. But Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray, so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. To think Manasseh did not receive judgment for his actions in his lifetime would be the farthest thing from the truth. He did in his lifetime, and this opened up the Assyrians to come and to take him away. Check out how they did it. Second Chronicles 33.10 The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. That's crazy. They put a hook in his nose and dragged him to Babylon. And here Manasseh receives his death sentence and he's tortured and dies a miserable death like the ones he caused in so many others. That's probably what we want to hear, right? It's quite human to want justice at times, but this is not what happens. And it's just like the Lord he chose to redeem even Manasseh the worst king in all of Israel's history. Even Manasseh received mercy over justice. 2 Kings 33:12. In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. Afterward, he rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David, west of the Gihon Spring in the valley, as far as the entrance of the fish gate, and encircled the hill of Ophel, and he also made it much higher. He stationed military commanders in all the fortified cities in Judah. He got rid of the foreign gods and removed the image from the temple of the Lord, as well as all the altars he had built on the temple hill and in Jerusalem, and he threw them out of the city. Then he restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings and thank offerings on it. And he told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. The people, however, continued to sacrifice at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. The other events in Manasseh's reign, including his prayer to his God and the words the seers spoke to him in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, are written in the annals of the kings of Israel. His prayer and how God was moved by his entreaty as well as all of his sins and unfaithfulness and the sites where he built high places and set up Asherah poles and idols before he humbled himself. All these are written in the records of the seers. Manasseh rested with his ancestors and was buried in his palace, and Ammon, his son, succeeded him as king. To conclude this episode, a message to kings got to talk about the repentance of Manasseh. He's such a Darth Vader type figure in Israel's history. The Jewish people seem to want to forget him. And I agree with this perception, but unfortunately we can't because there are anti-Christ type figures all through history. And their deeds are terrible in nature. And they're destroyers of all that is good and promoters of violence and terror and the dark side. It's truly a miserable story. And it's why I chose it for this special podcast for the HistoryPodcasters.com website entitled Terrible Leaders a long time ago. And the other reason we can't forget Manasseh 
is he's an extreme example because it truly shows how anyone, anyone, anyone can be saved. Anyone can call upon the Lord and be saved, even if they commit the worst of crimes. Even they can call upon the mercy of God. I have to believe Manasseh has a backseat in heaven if there is, like, there's a barely made it section. He's there. While Isaiah has a front seat, and somewhere in heaven they have spoken, and Manasseh made his amends with the legendary prophet. If tears of repentance are a thing in heaven, if it's at all possible, Manasseh did this with the prophet Isaiah. In the end, Manasseh had his God experience and his repentance in Babylon. It stated Manasseh prayed in Babylon and repented to God. There is an actual historical document called the Prayer of Manasseh. Its authenticity is in question, and that's why it's not part of the canon or the Bible. The Prayer of Manasseh is not part of the canon. It's actually an addition to the Bible and the Apocrypha. However, the 4th century Vulgate included it in the end of the book of 2 Chronicles. It later became part of the Matthew Bible and Geneva Bible of 1599. It's also found in the Apocrypha of the King James Bible, like I said. It, it's a work that cannot be ignored completely, if at only for historical value. But that reference to that um, entreaty that Manasseh did to God, well, there is an actual work called the Prayer of Manasseh. Here's a bit on the Apocrypha. It's the extra books in the Catholic Bible. The Catholic Bible contains the Bible as we know it, 66 books by 40 authors. But the Catholic Bible decided to include a group of additional books. They range from the Book of Enoch to the Prayer of Manasseh um, to some other stuff in the, all the way to the New Testament. I personally haven't read it, and we don't consider it part of the Bible or the original canon, but we shouldn't necessarily throw out any of the books, even if for historical value. It doesn't mean it's wrong to read these books. It, they just aren't considered divinely inspired at the time the Bible was put together. And from what I've read from scholars is they got this right. The books chosen, the 66 books by the 40 authors, they're the right ones. But here and there, if you look at them, the other books, the Apocrypha and such, as historical writings, not as inspired works, you can glean some good history or context. We can look at them as history, and we have a better context. And it's for the same reason we reflect on Jewish traditions and the Talmud or other works for additional details at Josephus. And if we do this, it would be incorrect to throw out everything, including the Apocrypha works. And as long as we are mature enough to weigh the values of each work in the Bible as the only authentic, authentic, authentic source for history, we can add context and history and details from other works, testing them against the Bible as we know it. Now, if we look at historic books as the same weight as the actual Bible, this could throw you off. So history they are, and we'll include one here for reference. Take note the prayer Manasseh. It provides wonderful context um, and almost a, a, a personal feel and extra for this story. The reason it was not included in the canon, um, some did date its historical actual written date, and others uh, they referenced the reason is that, you, and I'll read it pretty soon, but um, 
Manasseh says that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't sin. Uh, they obviously sinned. Surely he knew this. Um, all fall, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Just maybe Manasseh knew they were human, but that they were justified by faith. And this is what he meant. Who knows, regardless, Manasseh probably was a really messed up dude at the time of his imprisonment. I mean, he, to, to consider his work inspired, <laughs> I mean, it's just a heartfelt repentance of someone who's a hedonistic guy who's completely forgotten everything there is, um, except for some teachings as a child, probably, of who God was. And, and this is his heartfelt prayer, and maybe that's how we relate to it. If you feel like you're a Manasseh-like character and you've done the worst of worst, listen to his prayer, you can pray the same thing. So we conclude with the heart of the worst king who ever lived in Israel and his repentance. If God forgave Manasseh, he can forgive you. Feel his heart as he pleads with God to save his soul. If you can relate, cry out to God yourself and let him rescue you. The prayer of Manasseh. Lord Almighty, God of our ancestors, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their righteous children, you made heaven and earth with all their beauty. You set limits for the sea by speaking your command. You closed the bottomless pit and sealed it by your powerful and glorious name. All things fear you and tremble in your presence, because no one can endure the brightness of your glory. No one can resist the fury of your threat against sinners. But your promised mercies are beyond measure and imagination, because you are the highest, Lord, kind, patient, and merciful, and you feel sorry over human troubles. You, Lord, according to your gentle grace, promise forgiveness to those who are sorry for their sins. In your great mercy, you are allowed sinners to turn from their sins and find salvation. Therefore, Lord, God of those who do what is right, you didn't offer Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who didn't sin against you, a chance to change their hearts and lives. But you offer me, the sinner, the chance to change my heart and life, because my sins outnumbered the grains of sand on the sea. My sins are many, Lord. They are many. I am not worthy to look up to gaze into heaven because of my many sins. Now, Lord, I suffer justly. I deserve the troubles I encounter. Already I am caught in a trap. I am held down by iron chains so that I cannot lift my head because of my sins. There is no relief for me because I made you angry, doing wrong in front of your face, setting up false gods and committing offenses. Now I bowed down before you from deep within my heart, begging for your kindness. I have sinned, Lord, I have sinned, and I know the laws I have broken. I am praying, begging you, forgive me, Lord, forgive me. Don't destroy me along with my sins. Don't keep my bad deeds in your memory forever. Don't silence me the earth's depths, for you, Lord, are the God of those who turn from their sins. In me, you'll show how kind you are, although I'm not worthy. You'll save me according to your great mercy. I will praise you continuously all the days of my life, because all of heaven's forces praise you, and the glory is yours forever and ever, always.
Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.